It's good to be with everyone this morning. If you would, uh, turn with me in your uh, Bibles to Hosea. We have finally uh, reached the end of Hosea. I was uh, joking with Rick and Dennis that now that we're finally done with Hosea, I feel like I'm finally prepared to preach (laughs) through Hosea. But it is a a wonderful book. If you would turn there with me uh, to chapter 14. And I was reminded as uh, I was preparing for this sermon and just this week, uh, this past week, Jess and I uh, and her family, we sent uh, Jess's uh, cousin off to college. Uh, He's on his way there now down in Mississippi. Um, So earlier this week, we were enjoying enjoying dinner together. And as we were uh, talking about college and we were reminiscing on our own experiences and we started talking about and and going around the table, sharing some uh, last parting advice uh, for, for him. This last time we'd see him face to face for a while, uh, what's, what's one thing that we could, we could tell him that we've learned uh, from our time in college? What's one piece of advice we could say? Uh, most of them were, uh, please just go to class. <laughs> just go to class. That's a big one. But work hard, make friends, learn from your mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. You learn from them. Just going around, sharing advice. And I know there's some of us here that are in that life stage right now, uh, getting ready to send uh, children off to college. Uh, But I know we can all relate to that feeling of saying goodbye and wanting to leave some kind of, of wisdom or, or advice. What's, what's one thing uh, that we could, we could say? If, if you only knew, uh, uh, if, uh, if there's only one thing uh, that I'd want to part with you, that, that kind of feeling, one thing that I had to learn the hard way that you don't have to learn that way, if you just heed my advice, what, what's that one thing? And that's, that's the desire that we see here in this passage. What's that one thing I could pass along? That's, that's what Hosea is concluding here in his passage and in, in concluding his book and summing it all up. He's, he's leaving us with just this one last piece of advice. And it's more than advice, really. It's, it's a plea after these first 13 chapters uh, that, he's, he's, uh, th- th- that contain his ministry. Now he gets to this last chapter. He makes this, this plea, this last plea for his, for his readers, for his audience, for his people. So what's the one piece of advice that Hosea leaves for, for his readers? Above everything else, what does he say? He says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. That's it. That's Hosea's final plea to God's people. And this was his plea back then. It's the same plea that we're left with today. God's people today as the Spirit speaks through his word, through his prophet Hosea to us today. This is the advice. This is the plea that we need to receive. That we need to return to the Lord. So let me read this chapter now with that in mind. Let me read it for us and we'll, we'll pray for God's blessing and then we'll, we'll jump into the text. But let me read this now for us, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with, your, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. 
His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. We give you, but transgressors stumble in them. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, we confess to you that we are uh, such transgressors that stumble in our way, but that you have revealed yourself to us through your spirit. You have made known to us what wisdom is. You have revealed to us and given us understanding of your things. The ways of the Lord are right, and we walk in them by your grace. Would you give us that grace this morning as we consider your word, and it's uh, the plea that is before us to return to you, O Lord, our God. Would we do that this morning? Would we return to you and to your love? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So after going back and forth between God's judgment and uh, God's uh, mercy, uh, between law and, and gospel, between punishment and salvation, after, after all this is done, uh, the whole content of the, the book and the message of Hosea, now we conclude with this final plea, this, this big takeaway. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Now there are many references throughout this, this chapter and callbacks to different places in the book, and we'll, we'll highlight those as we go along. But we want to keep that main thing the main thing. We want to keep that main message the main message of this sermon, and that is return. That, that verb to return, that's one of the great biblical words for repentance. And so that's what this, this message is all about is repentance. Repentance described as returning. So returning involves both a turning away from something and a turning toward something else. And so that's what repentance is. It's a turning from and a turning to. And so that's what we want to look at today. Just those two aspects. What we are turning from and then what, or, or better said, who uh, we are turning to what we're turning from, what we're turning to. We see what we're turning from in Israel's confession, those first three verses that we read. And then in verses four through eight, we see what we're turning toward in God's answer to Israel's confession. So Israel's confession, God's answer, what we're turning from, what we are returning to, those are the two things we'll look at this morning. And so first we see Israel's confession, those first three verses. And Hosea pleads to Israel to return to Yahweh, their God. Well, why? He says, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now, we don't need to rehash all those details. That's what the first 13 chapters of this book was all about. And at this point, uh, they know it. Uh, uh, You know it. I know it. Hosea knows it. God knows it. They have stumbled because of their iniquity. And now all that's left is to deal with it somehow. How can we deal with it? It's to return to the Lord. Verse 2, take with you words and return to the Lord. Return to him and say to him. So notice right away, confession and repentance requires words. 
So don't miss that. Repentance is something that is spoken. And so what is it that was spoken? What were the words that Israel used to confess their sin? Look back with me at this this list of different things that Israel says is their confession. They say, take away all iniquity. They say, accept what is good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. They say, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. And this confession then ends with a statement about God's character in verse 3. At the end of verse 3, it says, In you, in the Lord, in you, the orphan finds mercy. So those are the statements. That's the content of Israel's confession. This is what they are turning from. This is what repentance looks like. Now, it, uh, our confession of sin that we did earlier in our worship uh, looks a little different. We don't talk about horses and Assyria and those. Uh, but the main point is still the same. And that's what we want to notice here, what, what we want to see. What can we make of this confession from, from Israel in this passage? What are the takeaways? How is this a model of our own repentance? And so there's a few takeaways for us as we consider what they're turning from. In the first, in the first place, we see that this confession is honest. It's honest. They had finally understood what was said in, in verse 1, that they had stumbled because of their iniquity. And so they were honest about their situation about their predicament. They recognize their utter need of a Savior and a Savior who, uh, as they begin their prayer, is able to take away all iniquity. And so they realize that if God doesn't take away all of their iniquity, then it will never be fully gone. If there is any iniquity or any sin or any work left to accomplish that's left to the people, then that work will not be done. If there's any sin left in us, then it's going to remain left in us because we are unable to take away the iniquity. But with God, all iniquity is taken away. As far as the east is from the west, Scripture says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we must be willing then to accept that fact. That's a a first step of repentance is recognizing our inability And that's difficult for us to do because that that means we have to give up of our own pride and our autonomy and our our uh, uh, self-reliance. We aren't able to do it on our own. And that's what Israel confesses in the first place. They give up their pride, their own way of doing things. And it says that uh, they will, uh, or they they ask God to accept what is good and we will pay with the bulls the the vows of our lips. Now, uh, this verse uh, needs a little more explanation. There to accept what is good. Well, well, what is good? What is good is the kind of religion that God requires of his people. This is what God tells them in Hosea 6, uh, verse 6. For, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Uh, or as the, the prophet Micah says in Micah chapter 6, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so true, honest repentance then 
What is good then is, is it recognizes the, the inward change that has to occur. The inward change that God desires. God does not desire sacrifice apart from steadfast love. Rather, the inward change must precede the outward act. And Israel is finally now beginning to understand that reality. And the vows of their lips, they say, are now demonstrating that inward change. And their sacrifices now are acceptable uh, to God. They were honest with themselves and with God. They, they uh, need his mercy and they come to God with humility and uh, recognizing their need. Secondly, we also see that Israel's confession, uh, it was honest and it was also particular. Israel's confession is, is particular. Uh, earlier in our service, after the, our corporate confession of sin, recognizing that we have all fallen short, we take time in, in silent prayer. And that's our time to confess our particular sins uh, to uh, the Lord. And this is so important for us, that we, we name our sins, that we confess them particularly, specifically with the Lord. And this is what Israel did. Well, what were Israel's sins? Well, this is what they confessed to God. They confessed that Assyria shall not save us. This was a, a, a huge reversal of what has been, been the situation in the case all throughout Hosea. One of their greatest failures and their greatest sins was trusting in the other nations to save them. Assyria being the, the main political power of the time. And so that being uh, one of the main nations that they turned to to trust in. So many times all throughout, Hosea tells them of this sin. And he, he likens it to spiritual adultery, to turning from, from the Lord their God. So uh, many times Hosea says, uh, he says, when, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria. They didn't go to God. They went to Assyria, chapter 5. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt and going to Assyria, chapter 7. For they have gone up to Assyria, chapter 8, verse 9. For they make a covenant with Assyria, chapter 12, verse 1. They were always trusting in these other nations. Assyria being the primary one, they were paying tribute to them instead of trusting in God to protect them. But now... They confess that sin particularly and they say Assyria will not save us. So we see they're returning. They're turning from Assyria. They're returning back to God. In the same way they confess we will not ride on horses. Now what are they saying there? Well, they're saying that nobody should ever ride on a horse because that's, that's crazy. No, they're not saying that. Of course, it's appropriate to, to enjoy horseback riding if you're so disposed to that. I was never any good at it. But they're referring to the horses as the tools and the weapons of war. They're trusting in, uh, in, in referencing horses here. They're referring to the, the, the tools, the weapons of war, the chariots of war, and, and to all the different uh, machinations of, of war and to the other nations and their horses and their instruments of war. They're trusting in those things to, to protect them instead of trusting in God for their deliverance. As Proverbs 23, uh, 21 verse 31 says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to who? The victory belongs to the Lord. They had forgotten that. Who, to whom does victory belong? It belongs to the Lord. But they had forgotten their God. They'd forgotten their Lord. Hosea 4 verse 1, there's no knowledge of God in the land anymore. They'd forgotten it. 
But now as they come and they return to the Lord, they confess that sin particularly to him. And they confessed specifically their idolatry as well. They, uh, they say, we will, no more, uh, we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. When Jeroboam uh, in the divided kingdom, he established two golden calves and he said to the people, here, O Israel, are, is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They were creating idols, the work of their own hands and saying, these are our gods. This is our God. Ephraim is joined to idols, Hosea says, chapter 4. Chapter 13, they make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully skillfully made of, of their silver, but no longer now. But they confess of that sin. They will no longer call these man-made objects our God, but they will return to Yahweh, their God. And so in all these ways, we see how Israel's confession was not only uh, honest in its, uh, in its uh, general application to everyone, but it was also particular to their certain, uh, to their specific circumstances. So it's honest and particular, a third characteristic of Israel's confession. And this leads us now to the second half of our text as well. But a third characteristic is that Israel's confession was hopeful. And we can't miss this. Their confession was hopeful because it was directed toward God who is faithful and loving and able to save. They express this in the the concluding phrase in verse 3. They say, in you the orphan finds mercy. This is God's character. God's character is merciful. He loves and he cares for the, the orphan. And this is great news for Israel because they have made themselves orphans through their adultery, through their breaking of the covenant, through their sin. So the word for mercy here is is the same word that Hosea uses in the beginning in chapter 1 in uh, the name of his his daughter, Lo Ruhama, no mercy. So you you remember that child's name, no mercy, from chapter 1. So now finally at the end of the book, (laughs) Israel's getting it. They've learned their lesson from these children of judgment and hope. They've finally decided, let's return to the Lord. Because he is merciful. Though we have been made orphans and there is no mercy, yet we know that God, he loves the orphan and he will be merciful to us. We will find mercy in him. And so in these first three verses, we we see a model for confession, a model for what it looks like to turn away from something. That Israel's repentance was honest and particular and hopeful. But now the question is, how is God going to answer? How is God going to answer this confession? We've seen the first part of repentance, the turning away from something. But now uh, let's consider that second part of repentance, the turning toward. What does that look like? Who is the, the God that we're turning toward and returning to? And we see that in God's answer. God's answer in verses 4 through 8. Our, our, how does God answer this penitent request of his people? How does our Father in heaven respond to us when we, we bring our sorrow and, and our shame and our sin and our guilt, our, our anxieties to him? How does he respond? He responds in love. He responds in love. Look back with me at his answer. Starting in verse 4, he says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. 
So we know that sin is a sickness. Sin is a disease. Sin, uh, sin is, requires uh, healing. And God is the one who has the cure. He's able to heal. He heals us and it says he, he loves us freely. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to love freely? I want to focus in on that word here uh, for a moment. This word is used elsewhere to describe the free will offering uh, that God required of his people and in other places describes the kind of worship that God desires and, and wants his people to have. He desires his people to render to him worship that is uncompelled. Worship that comes from a genuine desire of, of the heart. That is what, what God wants when, when he says that he desires steadfast love and knowledge rather than empty sacrifices. He wants us to love him freely. Yet this entire book of, of Hosea, if it demonstrates one thing, it demonstrates that we have not been able to love God freely the way that he desires us to love him. We have not loved God out of a genuine desire of our hearts, but now we see that God is the one who loves us freely. Though we have broken covenant with God, yet he loves us and blesses us. And he is the one who's willing and even more uh, with a genuine desire in his heart, he showers his people with love. For God so loved the world in this way that he sent his only begotten son. He sent his son into the world and while we were yet sinners, his son died on the cross for our sins. He loves us unconditionally. God's love is not conditioned upon any merit or any righteousness that is in you. But rather, God loves you freely. God loves you unconditionally according to his mere good pleasure as you are united to Christ through faith. And so when you turn from sin and repentance and return to God, there is no probationary period there's no checklist that you have to complete in order to be reintegrated into God's community. But he loves you freely. All there is is you falling into the loving arms of your heavenly father. And you hear him tell you and say to you, I love you. You're dirty from your sin, but I'm going to wash you clean and I'm going to give you new clothes. I'm going to give you the fresh clothes that belong to my son and I'm giving them to you free of charge. And in fact, everything that my son has now belongs to you. Everything I have is yours. We're going to celebrate that you've returned. Welcome home. That's what God says to us. Do you see that, church? Do you see the the outcome of God's incredible love for you and for his people? That's how he loves us freely. And look, look how uh, Hosea describes this, uh, God's free and uh, redeeming love. Look, look how he describes it in the next verse, uh, verse 5. He says, I will, I will be like the dew to Israel. Uh, he shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root uh, like the trees of, of Lebanon. And uh, the rest of these verses, they use this, this uh, foliage uh, imagery to describe the kind of life and the kind of growth that God's people have through this life-giving love. He is like the dew to Israel. And this isn't the first time that uh, Hosea has used uh, dew to describe uh, uh, love before. Uh, so in, in chapter 6, verse 3, uh, God says to his prof- uh, through his prophet, he says, What shall I do with you? Your love 
is like a morning cloud. It's like dew that goes away early. So this is the picture of Israel's love for Yahweh. It's like the morning dew, but it is like dew that uh, disappears uh, at the first uh, rays of sunshine hit it on the ground. So, so picture that for a moment with me, this morning dew, as uh, you know what that looks like. You know what it looks like to, to walk out early in the morning and to, uh, to walk through the grass and to, and to see uh, it, it's still wet with the morning dew. But we know that that doesn't last very long. Uh, for, for those of us that uh, maybe have gardens or have, have plants that need to be watered uh, often throughout the day, uh, no one here has, has gone out and looked on the ground and saw the dew there and say, oh, this is excellent. I don't need to water my garden today. No, we understand. Of course not. This is not a, a source of water. This is not sustainable. It's going to be gone in just a matter of, of minutes and just a few moments. This is how our love for the Lord is described. But notice how God's love for us is described. It's also described like dew, but this ground, and it causes growth. This is God's love for you. It's so overwhelming. It's so potent that even, even the dew of the Lord is like a raging torrent of water consuming everything in its path. The love of the Lord is like a flood of water. It washes away all of our iniquity and it heals us and it, and it floods the, the fallow ground of our hearts. The dry ground of our hearts is, is now, now uh, uh, made uh, wet and able to grow and to blossom. And so now we, we blossom like lilies. We grow up bright and tall in God's love. And, and our roots sink deep down like the roots of, of the trees in Lebanon. Those roots who grow down deep and strong. And so we have to realize this, uh, church, we have to realize that there is no uh, growth and there's no life that doesn't include repentance. And, and we'll, we're going to confess this together. This is uh, at the end of our service. The, our, what our confession describes is repentance unto life. It's, it's a life that happens through repentance. It leads to life. Repentance is a turning away and a turning toward. And just like Israel's confession concluded with a statement about God's character, uh, so, so God's answer also concludes a statement about God's character. He says, O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? In verse 8, it is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. For me comes your fruit. God has nothing whatsoever to do with idols. The, the healing and the comfort and the growth and, and most of all the salvation and redemption that we all need is only found in God and in God alone. And so it's the turning from our sins and from our idols and, turning and returning to our Lord that we find salvation. God has nothing to do with idols. We must have nothing to do with idols either, but rather we must repent. Uh, this is, this is the, the daily life of the Christian. Always returning from something, returning to uh, the Lord, returning to Christ. Uh, Calvin uh, says it perfectly. He says, repentance is not merely the start of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. So this is what we do. We, we recognize when we have made something into an idol. We recognize when we have drifted off course, even a few degrees, we recognize it. We throw the idol away. We redirect. We turn back toward our Lord. We turn from and we return to God, our first love, the one who at first loved us. We return to God's love. And so if there was just one, one piece of advice, one thing that we could, we could give to somebody, one, uh, what would it be? What's the one thing we could say? 
Well, Hosea ends not just this, chap, uh, this chapter, but uh, he wraps up his, his ministry, his, his book as a whole, and he gives us one piece of advice. And he concludes it with this last verse, verse 9. And he says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the, way of the up, uh, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So this is his final appeal to his readers, to his audience. And the Spirit is speaking through his prophet to us today and to you today. Do you desire wisdom? Well, consider these things then that we have discussed and seek to know them. Have you returned to God's love? Have you, have you returned to your Lord or are you, are you still wandering further away? That is the question he leaves all of us to consider. Have we taken to heart and have we considered the message of Hosea in its totality, in the whole book? I, I, I could not write a better conclusion to this sermon and this series other than what has already been written in Holy Scripture. Consider these things. Whoever is wise, seek to understand them. And so that's the question before us today. Have you come to the end of your rope? Have you had enough of, of this life apart from God's love? How, have you tried to make it on your own but are left feeling empty and unsatisfied? Is there anything weighing you down? Weighed down from guilt or shame or are you uh, angry over lost years? Are you weary? Are you hurt from past relationships? What is your life like? Whatever situation you might be in, Hosea leaves you with this, this one last piece of advice. He says, consider these things and return to the Lord. He says, consider the cross And consider Jesus who came to earth and began his ministry by saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Consider the life he lived and the death that he didn't deserve to die and and entertain the thought, even for a moment, that maybe it's all true. That Jesus died for our sins and even though he died, he rose from the dead. And so consider that it's all true. And if it's all true, then turn away from the path that you're on. And return to Christ. Turn to God. Return to him. Return to God's love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we uh, give you praise and honor and glory. All that's due to your name. Lord, you have come. uh, You've uh, lived the life we were required to live and failed to. And then you have died the death that we all deserve to die. And now we have life in you life everlasting, abundant life, joy, and peace. Uh, Lord, all these things are available to us uh, through you. And so uh, we, we pray that uh, whatever is in our heart, whatever is in our lives that we need to repent and turn from, that we would, that we would let go of every snare and every hindrance and that we would run the race before us, that we would look to you, that we would run to you, that we would return to you. And so may you do that work in us by your spirit, uh, even today as we, as we come now to the table and to the sacrament. Uh, would you be working uh, in us and working through that to grow us in grace and in our love for you. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus, in his name, amen.